This is Better Red Than Dead, a literature podcast from a left perspective. I'm Megan. I'm Tristan. I'm Katie. And today we are going to be talking about The Castle of Otranto, which is Horace Walpole's 1764 gothic novella, and apparently the first gothic novel in English, about how Catholics are terrifying, and about bad dads, and about a big dumb ghost that squishes people in a castle <laughs> in Italy, which is which is where Catholics live, if we didn't talk about Catholics and did we mention it's spaghetti, the Catholics. The spaghetti is made. It's yes. the spaghetti in Catholic heaven. <laughs> yes. When so as... <laughs> As the king of the 18th century, who hates kings, Tristan, why did we why why did we pick this to close out our Halloween month? Yeah, so well, thanks you guys for reading this. Um, This book is hilarious. Uh, It is absolutely hilarious, and as as you you indicated, Megan, um, it is one of the most ridiculous ghost stories that I've ever read. um, Putting putting ghost kind of in scare quotes. And like much like with Irving and honestly, most of the Gothic, as far as I'm concerned, I sort of suspect that it knows that it's ridiculous. Um, You know, camp uh, isn't really a concept that existed in the 18th century in quite the way we might think of it. But this is campy as all fuck. um, And it's, it's just delightful. And like a lot of the Gothic, I think it's taking a piss on all kinds of enlightenment, philosophical and aesthetic discourses in, in some really interesting ways. But it's also like really fascinated by those concepts. And so trying to figure out where the critique lies versus where the sort of like celebration or just expression of these ideas lies um, is a puzzle. And and I'm kind of excited to talk to the guys about it. Plus, we've mentioned the Catholics are terrifying component of the British Gothic a lot. Some of my academic work, particularly with my kind of earlier stuff, is, is on how the nation as a modern concept gets invented in the 18th century. Do you have century? an early academic canon? That's amazing. Well, well, I mean, that's kind of a douchey way of saying, like, when I first came to grad school, like, this was what I was interested in. You I know, just but, tease it. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, yeah, I mean, well, shit, I've been, like, doing this stuff on, like, almost 20 years now. That's true. So. You know, the old but, yeah. stuff for Tristan is great, but the but the new shit, man, <laughs> he sold out. Out. <laughs> Out of control. Guapole interests have just gone to- down the tubes. Totally. So let me rephrase that slightly less douchily. Uh, back when I first started <laughs> no, grad we're school, it. I was kind of interested, more interested in how like the nation is a modern concept. Schweiger's uh, early work. Yes, yeah, Schweiger's early work. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Uh, um, yeah, like the, so the nation is a modern concept, like how that coheres in the 18th century. Um, and, you know, there's always xenophobic strains uh, running through that, obviously, in the British Gothic, I think, is part of that. And it's sort of Catholic anxieties. Um, but I think the main thing is we have a real affinity on this show for the fail son. And <laughs> OMG, Horace Walpole is the <laughs> shining example of the four, right? Like, so his dad, Robert Walpole, or I'm sorry, the first Earl of Orford to us plebs, uh, <laughs> was uh, oh boy. He was Britain's first prime minister, uh, and Horace is a fuck-off who built himself a bullshit gothic castle called Strawberry Hill outside of London and just like wrote trashy fiction and self-published it, um, except because he was so rich, he actually built his own press and did kind of publish a lot of cool shit. So, 
If I've learned anything from going to the University of Chicago, it's that if you're rich, you can make up whatever the fuck you want. So if you're like, I've bought a university and it shall be a fancy university. Oh, yeah. You can fucking do whatever you want to. Yeah, that's why I like Chicago, this fucking gothic architecture built by the goddamn Rockefellers in yes. Chicago in the late 19th century. You know, If you're rich, you can be like, this is literature now. And I guess everybody else has to be like, all right. Everybody knows if you're rich – it means you're smart. The amount of dollars you have equates by a very precise formula to the amount of smart you have in your brain. And That's it's right. a straight line going straight up. It's a straight it's a straight line. Did I interrupt you, Katie? Did you want to say something? I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just fucking stupid. Um, oh no, just uh be, he he was such I don't know what uh version you two read but there's in the one that I read there's like an intro where it explains that when he got sick he like needed special flowers and to have his pillows fluffed in a very particular manner <laughs> I did not I uh no I read the version uh the penguin version edited by my my former uh advisor uh, Michael Gamer hi Michael uh so but 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 Michael <laughs> unfortunately does not talk about that aspect of of Walpole's biography so <laughs> I mean I didn't read that but that tracks with the like lipless syphilitic fuck that I have in my mind but but he lived till be like 80 some years old like that's the weird thing like <sighs> Because he was so stupid. He was unburdened by <laughs> any concerns about anything. Nothing. Fucking, no, he had a, like he got like 2000 bucks a year and he's got like butterflies flying through his head and he's running around with a net after them. He's such a fucking dumbass. <laughs> I mean, that's the, the, the dumb live to be very old. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I wanted to read this because you guys said we should, which is like, that's honestly as good a reason as any. And also, I think why we all read Rosemary's Baby, because I was like, you should read it. <laughs> I loved every second of this book. And I can't remember the last time I laughed out loud reading anything. <laughs> and this was just, this was, this was an encounter that I will never forget. Um, and like, it's so good. It's so good. And the funny thing is that, like, maybe because I read all this, like, Washington Irving or the Levine, or it's like beautifully cloudy or whatever, I am feeling otherwise very willing to like love spooky shit and take it seriously. But that is impossible with this book. <laughs> you cannot take it seriously. It's ridiculous. I read this and I was like, man, I love sort of psychoanalytic critics and criticism. So, like, what if Freud had read this instead of The Sandman? When he'd written The Uncanny. Or like, what if Poe, what if Lacan had not read Poe, but read this? I'm sure and they all read a lot of bad things. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not that. If they, they would philosophy on it. If they had oh, what if they had been like, this is the thing that I need to write about to talk about the like pure signification that is the purloined letter. Right. Yeah, it yeah. could be. You know, you're that's actually like, a, oh man, that would be great. Can we just swap out like uh, everyone's influences? Like, we get a time machine and we influence swap. <laughs> yeah, that yes, would be awesome. Absolutely, that would be great. That's the best. That use would of a be. Time I agree. I think that that is like where we should all. I think that's where we should start. I think that Melville should be the world's greatest fan of the Earl of Rochester instead of Hawthorne. Yeah, I think. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
I think that Hemingway shouldn't be mad at Fitzgerald. I think that he should be mad at Dreiser and that we should just <laughs> go around fucking with literary history. Totally. Uh, but Meg, you, you said that with Lacan, right? Uh, we just, uh, Meg and I just uh, taught uh, once again, the, the mirror stage. Uh, and I have to say that that shit uh, that Lacan talks about, about like the weird dream stuff, like the dis- disintegrating bodies, that does yeah. have a little bit of a Castle Vitrato feel to it. It have does have a bit of that. <laughs> I mean, and the thing, like Lacan actually and Freud is the same, like they both sort of read everything. So I'm sure they read this. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure they also were like, what the fuck? And like, I... Uh, I am not a great knower of 18th century stuff, like especially because you guys know a lot. But even I can tell that this is not a found object. No. Oh my god. No. Oh, oh, even I know that this is like, um, really, motherfucker. Like, (laughs) not for a minute did I think. Yeah, this really reads like a 16th century manuscript no no except for like thee and thou i was like good job horace like you didn't <laughs> think like i would fucking catch that it's like- just haphazardly sometimes thrown in yeah it's, it's just so good and like i love novels where like you can't relate to anyone we don't know what psychologically motivates anybody except for like that their dicks are hard and like shit happens for no reason yep and it has that like and then and then and then quality that like I okay so I explained the plot of this to my husband he came home and I was reading it and he said did one of my students write that and he teaches second grade <laughs> yeah it's pretty much where we are yep Yep, yep. Just like, and then a giant hat fell off the wall, and Grandpa came out of a painting. <laughs> and the statue bled from his nose. From his nose. <laughs> and then there was a big hand, and then a big foot. And yeah, then when he was bleeding through his nose, the, the statue said, boogers. <laughs> this is straight up the way second graders write scary stories. Uh, and then the one guy split in half, and he was an angel inside. <laughs> What the fuck? Uh, um, so yeah, I was so happy that you both suggested this. So Katie, why did you must? This must be a rereading, right? Uh yeah, I re- read this in college, and um, I was excited because of that. And oh boy, it is just—it's so fucking stupid. Like when I first heard about it, I knew I had to read it. It wasn't required reading for class, but I took the class <laughs> on the gothic, and just I was like, oh, I have to. Read oh that yes, right now. yeah, yeah, and. The beginning is stupid, and you're like, oh, this is kind of stupid. And then the middle is too, and then the end is even like the most. So it's just like, <laughs> oh, it's, it's insane. It's just, yeah. It's just dumbass shit, like all the way down. It, it's it's actually like, it's hard to believe it's real. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, How many yeah, times so, like, somebody's like, ma- but I'm your dad. It's just like, you can do that. You can get away <laughs> with that once. You get one, I am your father. And then it's like, no. Yeah. Yeah. No, every every page I was like hearing the the dramatic look gopher, like YouTube clip over and over again. (laughs) Okay. There's also one part where this will just give you a little taste of how stupid this book is. Um, There's a part where there's, uh, there's a knight who eats dinner in a full knight's costume by shoving the food through the plate. (laughs) Yes. Of the mouthful. Yes, that's right. 
It's so good. Again, like a second grader, right? It's like if I had a suit of armor, I would wear it everywhere. I would never take it off, even if I was eating. (laughs) Just stuff it through. Like, oh, brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. And and no one is suspicious whatsoever. Whatsoever. Um, Yeah. But the the other reason that I wanted to read it was something that that Tristan will talk much more about and has alluded to, which is that. Horace Walpole was just like a huge, huge, huge dipshit. Just like <laughs> amazingly, amazingly. But okay, at the he wrote this. This is gonna be better when you are done listening to this episode. But he was forty fucking eight years old when he <laughs> wrote this. Okay, and he had a fucking dream about big armor and was like, "Let's fucking go! I'm an author, baby." <laughs> <laughs> And so he wrote this book and, and it was just like, I had a dream. I wrote a book. So sure. I, th- I think the moral of the story here is uh, don't fucking tell people your dreams, please keep them no. to yourself. They don't make sense. Nope. If you're, pel- it, 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 it just, just don't do it. Don't distribute them. Don't copy them. Don't tell your friends. Don't tell your lovers. No. Don't tell people who don't like you. Don't tell people who like you too much. Yeah. Uh, dream, just don't tell anyone. Dreams you're, are no dumb. No one cares that you're. Keep them to yourself. Don't have them. <laughs> yes. Shush. I don't want to hear ones about teeth that were really weird. I don't want to hear any of them. Also, the mm. teeth ones are like straight up in the interpretation of dreams. Freud just mm-hmm. says like teeth falling out is a threat to the ego. So don't tell people because I can just tell you like full Freud has a Freud has a line for that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, tell, tell Lacan what your dreams are. He gives a shit. Yeah, yeah. Only Lacan then. <laughs> he gives a lot Fine. of shit. Yeah, he does. I mean, and then nobody else except you know Melanie Klein, also dead for what it's worth. I don't believe that they're really interested in dreams. They're trying to make up a game, interpreting them as a game you make up so that you don't expire due to boredom when someone's telling you about their dream. Right. Well, especially because in analysis, you have to meet with somebody like four times a week. It's a lot of dream hearing. It's a lot of dream hearing and a lot of tell me about your mother. Yeah, a lot of talking. You got you got to. At some point, you exhaust shit that happened. And so it's like, so what, what were you thinking about? You know, <laughs> like, right. And then you just, that's how you get to the, the associative practice. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about the Gothic and what makes something the Gothic. We're going to be talking about the grab bag of Gothic tropes, giant helmets, giant swords. What does this have to do with the Enlightenment? Surprisingly, a lot. And um, why aristocrats are very, very silly. Um, so, Tristan, will you give us a summary of this? You don't don't omit, ad- omit nothing. <laughs> <laughs> this is a Can short. You read it to us. <laughs> this is a short book, but man, it is so fucking convoluted that it's like, oh god, how much? How much do I need? Um, so, first of all, yeah, as as you guys sort of uh, mentioned already, there's this convoluted foul narrative story here that that Walpole slaps onto the first edition, um, and like the, the first edition, basically, yeah, the, the the novella is purportedly from a 16th century Italian manuscript that recounts a 13th century local legend in Toronto, which is like in the boot heel of Italy, um, and it was supposedly found in an 18th century Catholic gentleman's house in the north of England, which is that weird liminal space where it's almost Scotland and it's scary. Uh, <laughs> a liar. God, yeah. I had a dream uh, and then it was real. Yeah. 
Yes, exactly. And like all of that is nonsense. This is 100% Horace Walpole, which he admits in the second edition, which came out very, very soon after the first one. Um, you don't say. So so here's the story. Um, <laughs> Manfred, Prince of Atrato, uh, real ominous, Catholic is all shit. And those things for the purpose of the British Gothic are the same thing. Um, <laughs> he has this this doofus son, Conrad. Um, who, if you guys remember Monty Python and the Holy Grail, there's that prince who, like, Michael Palin is the dad, and he's like, We live in a swamp, we need more lad, marry a woman with lots of lad. And the prince is like, But I don't want any of that. Like, th- that's who I imagine Conrad <laughs> to be. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, so, so and he's Manfred not even the biggest spoke- dipshit in this book. No, not no, when well, no. he dies too soon, like, you know, to even be. But, um, so, so Manfred uh, hooks Con because of the land thing. Um, hooks Conrad up with Isabella, who is the daughter of the Marquis of Vicenza, or 18th century British pronunciation, the Marquis of Vicenza. Uh, <laughs> they did, did they really say that? Uh, I think English people still say that, actually. But yeah, uh, Marquis. That is aggressively <laughs> francophobic. <laughs> Oh, totally. Yeah, it's 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 yeah. The, you gotta admire the British absolute refusal to use pronunciation cues from any other language. Um, but um, uh, Isabella's dad is off crusading, which is the thing as we know Catholics do. Manfred also has a wife, Hippolyta, uh, and a daughter, Matilda, who he hates for what seem to be just mi- misogynistic reasons. Doesn't really go beyond that. And so, like, well, he hates uh, on the Hippolyta very first because date- he doesn't have enough kids, right? Yes. Yeah. That, that, I mean, that's Hippo- that's why the animosity towards Hippolyta, like he, he needs more sons because Conrad, we can't be sure he's not just going to die. Um, Bring more sons. I need more sons. <laughs> Wheel me in more sons. So together, more sons. Yes. Well, we've read uh, enough books in this podcast to know that like you need somebody who's probably going to inherit it. You need somebody who's maybe going to inherit it. You need a total dipshit. You yes, need the yes. fourth child who's always like right wing or like a secret fuck hat or some, you know, like you really need a lineup to, to have your full representation. Yes. But what, what's also true is that there are always sons everywhere. It's sons all, <laughs> all the, the way, way down. down. Like, it really is. Are not, like anyone can just be your son. Yes, exactly. And yeah, right. That, so that's why he hates Hippolyta and Matilda. He hates because she's not a son, basically. And so, OK, but also like Manfred's freaked out from the very first page. Um, and we kind of like, you know, why is there's this prophecy that says the, the this is quoting the castle and lordship of Otranto should pass from the present family whenever the real owner should be grown too large to inhabit it. Um, <laughs> Cool. (laughs) Sorry. Fucking riddle. (laughs) A riddle wrapped in an enigma. Wrapped in a dumb. Uh, What if it were literally true that they were too big? That's actually what I thought the first time I read it. That Manfred was just going to like, Manfred was going to like roid up and just start eating. Like, oh, Walpole wants me to answer these riddles three, does he? <laughs> clever, clever sort of fella. Can't wait to read the rest of this. So, okay. So, it's Conrad and Isabella's wedding day, and we hear this scream. Gah! Everyone goes running, and holy Smushed. shit, there's a giant house-sized knight's helmet. 
that has crushed Conrad and he's dead as fuck. Oh, no. Which is, I, I think that's pretty cool because it means we don't actually have to read any dialogue from him because he seems like he would suck. Yeah. And also, we learn, oh, well, this is weird. The helmet that was on the statue of Alfonso the Good, who's the, like the, the good prince that Manfred's family usurped, his helmet's missing. So what the fuck? Like, you guys are super scared, right? Like, this is, ooh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. You know what the scary, you know what the best part about this shit is, though? That the, that the dad, the whole time, is looking, his son is mangled by a helmet. Yeah. And he's like, oh, that's a big helmet. That's a really big helmet. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. if you think about it, that's like a big helmet. And he gets so distracted <laughs> that he walks away and the servants have to move the son's dead body. <laughs> the dad's just like, it's a big helmet. It's a big helmet. Huh. Um, sure did smush my my son yeah he did it did so so this is the this is the the tragic event that kicks everything off um manfred's like okay well shit conrad's dead but i i i'm not gonna like oh wait what if i marry isabella instead and my current wife uh how do we even know we're not doing incest we probably are i'm gonna get that shit annulled um totally Isabella is like, what the fuck? No. Um, Hippolyta actually seems not that mad about it, which I kind of understand given what a dipshit Manfred is. And so she's like, yeah, whatever Manfred wants. Um, but Isabella's like, no way. And then while Manfred is telling her of this idiotic and gross plan, the image of his grandfather from a painting gets out of the painting, mumbles some shit, and runs away. And I have to stress, I have to stress, this plot point is just dropped. Yes. Okay? Like, this novel, I swear to God, is the fucking room, and Tommy Wiseau is Manfred. Yes. (laughs) He's aiming for her belly button in the dirty scenes. (laughs) Um, I honestly think the Wobble had a note that said, like, something about paintings and just tried a couple <laughs> of things. None of them worked, but he left them all in. Yep, yeah, ex- exactly. Um, so I'll try to breeze through the rest of this. Um, it, so Isabella runs away. There's this tunnel that leads to the Sir Church of St. Nicholas. Uh, she's going to do the whole sanctuary thing. Um, she meets this dude down there, Theodore, who had been involved. He was like, seems to be a peasant who had been involved in some way uh, that you don't really need to pay attention to, to the, the knight's helmet thing. Uh, Manfred got pissed off at him and imprisoned him in the knight's helmet. Um, but he escapes. Uh, and, and Tristan, then- you're not making sense. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm doing my best with this. Um, so, so Theodore's down there just like, do, 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 do. Um, he helps Isabella escape, uh, but he gets captured and, and locked in the tower. And we start to think like, oh, wait, maybe he's not a peasant. He doesn't really have a peasant vibe about him. Could he be the he's actual like heir? He's smart guy. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's yeah. <laughs> Could he be the actual heir of a Trotto? We don't know. But so, okay. So uh, Isabella recruits Father Jerome from the church or cause. Father Jerome's like, man, no way. I'm going to help you do this annulment thing. But then wait, some shit happens. And holy fuck, here's the deal. Theodore is actually Jerome's son, uh, long lost son. Jerome had to go off to do crusades. Right. And like he kind of lost track well. of Theodore and then he thought the son was dead. So he <laughs> so he like he becomes a priest instead, as one does. Totally. Um, yeah. It's like oh, I left my I left my son in the bowling alley. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like oh, I was off. I was crying. I was crusading for not even one minute and he's gone. Yeah. I exactly. also love that in the, the 18th century version of the 13th century uh story that like fucking catholics man one thing goes wrong and they gotta join the church yeah yes exactly one thing goes wrong or also one thing goes wrong and they've got it like they've got to annul their marriage to 
to marry their dead son's fiance. Like, yeah. you know, like, and then she's gonna go join a. She's gonna become a nun, though, right? Yeah, that's that, what oh, he yeah, wants that's, a, yeah, that's, to do. That's what you do. Shit goes wrong. That, be a nun. That's, that's it. a significant. <laughs> yes, that's a significant plot point. Um. Also, and again, I'm gonna try to get real fast. Um. If if uh. So if you guys are thinking that Theodore, hey, maybe he's not a peasant. Maybe he's the actual heir of a Toronto. You guys are smart readers. Like. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, this is like an anti-subtle book in any way, right? Like. Okay, so next thing. These knights show up. They're weird and pissy. They eat without removing their helmets. Uh, like, And they say they're from the Marquis, uh, Marquis of Vincenza, who's gotten uh, wind of all these shenanigans and wants his daughter back. Fighting happens. Theodore wounds one of the knights, who turns out to be Isabella's dad, um, Frederick the Marquis. Um, it's only a flesh wound. And Frederick is like, hey, hey, Manfred, your daughter's a pretty hot dude. So they decide that Manfred will marry Isabella. Frederick will marry Matilda. Manfred can't find Isabella and thinks she's probably getting it on with that asshole Theodore. He goes apeshit looking for them. He thinks he finds him and stabs her, but oh fuck, it turns out that was Matilda and now she's dead. And then Manfred decides he sucks so hard he has to advocate. Theodore is now the restored heir and prince of Etrano. He marries Isabella. They are both sad. The end. I will only okay. add one tiny thing, which is that like per either Shakespearean tragedy or French farce, there's a servant who keeps running back and forth delivering information <laughs> yes, called yes. Bianca. Yes. And <laughs> and and like we're mixing her up with Matilda sometimes. Mm-hmm. And just what genre is this? And why was somebody like, I think this is gonna be a this is a thing now. This is the gothic. We yeah. totally accept it. Yeah, it, no, it totally. I mean, it it is like so clearly an 18th century text, right? And it's like, and, and because be, precisely because it is drawing on all of those things that only like an 18th, only from the vantage point of the 18th century would you have had like access to those historical forms, right? That like the fact that this fooled anyone is absolutely insane. It is fucking nuts. I mean, okay. Also, so like the the intros, and again, I don't know which one you two had, but. Uh, it's him sort of like saying that, um, well, you know, like, yeah, so maybe this isn't true, but, you know, you can at least tell it's based on a true story because like, well, you know, the castle, he's obviously thinking of a real castle because he describes like how far the door is away from the window and he knew that it had a door and a window. So he must have been there. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. just so, so so some part of it could be real. I'm just that's like cop logic for being like, well, there could have been something in there and I don't know. And how would the how would you know there was a door on the house if you weren't the murderer? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, and this is like it's all those things that we've talked about forever, like from the fucking like. From this to the lottery where people are like, I feel like this happens someplace else, though. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This Yeah. This is like when you're with Catholics. Yeah. I could totally see this shit happening. Any, anything could happen. Grandpa oh. comes out of the picture. <laughs> and runs away, never to be heard from again. <laughs> <laughs> a, second, a second grader wrote this <laughs> no the grandpa or a very smart person because the grandpa comes back and he's just like oh fuck uh, it yeah. <laughs> tristan can you can you give us some context 
for this. Yeah, sure. And and I think, you know, we we can we can uh, as as I give context just sort of like talk about scenes or like questions that that you guys uh that you know were were present for you guys as you were reading. Um so I, I just want to say like the first thing I want to say again is just about Horace Walpole and his amazing fail sunness. Um again, I did I, I want to plug again uh, Michael's uh, Michael Gamer, uh, professor of English at, at Penn's uh teref- terrific penguin edition of this uh the novella where I'm getting a lot of my uh stuff about about Walpole um and also just how this situates with the, the broader gothic um but so yeah Walpole epic fail son he does the whole his dad is prime minister for like a bazillion years it's like 20 some years um and uh he goes off and does the aristocratic dude grand tour thing fully expecting to get into government and like kind of a cabinet position when he comes back but when he does come back his dad has finally been booted for office for corruption and lots of other things um, and I want to say like Horace had a brief period where he threatened to become like Michael Flynn Jr. Like he gives speeches in the comments like you guys do not deserve my awesome dad. He is a patriot. <laughs> Make Britain great again. <laughs> like, but, but he gets bored with that. And so he decides to build this elaborate mansion for himself and write and publish it. Um, so no wonder everyone is just like, if you are talking to anyone in this book, there's like a. 75% chance you're talking to someone's fucking dad. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. There is lots of daddy anxiety in this book, totally. <laughs> um, like he literally, this is like an all, it's an alternate reality where if you're thinking about a person, the next person you talk to is their dad. Yes. Maybe that's a horror movie. No, totally, totally. Um, and, and also, like, I think his kind of fail son, this is important context because, like, the, that game he's playing with the foul narrative stuff, like, um, there's this huge interest among the kind of, like, uh, emergent bourgeoisie and, and aristocracy in the 18th century and antiquarianism, um, which is, like, the pre- and, like, dilettantish version of what would become, like, the modern discipline of history. And, and like, some review, early reviews were super into the foul narrative stuff, and I think partly because of that interest in antiquarianism and partly because it just confirms like all of their anti-Catholic biases. Basically, oh, look at this nefarious papist in the 16th century who's cooking up all this superstitious stuff to scare the peasantry um, into sticking with the church. And then like when Walpole is like, LMFAO, all of that was totally me. Um, how, how are you people this dumb? Um, those same reviewers were like extremely pissed off. <laughs> like, um, oh, yeah. Uh, this uh, this edition of the monthly review that uh, that Michael quotes is like, um, it, this is a direct quote. When, as in this edition, the Castle of Otranto is declared to be a modern performance, that indulgence we afforded to the foibles of a supposed antiquity, we can no by by no means extend to the singularity of a false taste in a cultivated period of learning. It's like this isn't the Enlightenment, and we don't do this shit. Like, and yeah, so that's kind of like the sort of historical background of this. I will note that in one of the introductions that I have in the Gutenberg, with respect to his fail sunniness, that his father, the prime minister, died in 1745. And then the eldest son who succeeded to the earldom died in 1751 and left a son, George, who was for a time insane and lived until 1791. I love the phrasing for a time insane. <laughs> yeah. And also how like peak 18th century aristocrat that is. It's like only it insane a for a little while. Yeah, just you know, you just he's just a little insane. Just a little just insane. A tiny bit. Um tiny bit. but 
Yeah, and, and like so, I, I guess the, the sort of the last thing I'd say in terms of, of context is um, that there are a lot of philosophical discourses running through the Gothic. Katie's told us a, a lot about that in other episodes. Um, and like, so despite the kind of spookiness and sort of like, you know, ooh, the like encounters with the supernatural, um, there's a version of the Gothic, which we definitely see with, um, Anne Radcliffe, like the kind of queen of the Gothic novel a few decades later, that is all about a kind of enlightenment rationality. So like spooky stuff always gets, uh, gets resolved as a logical explanation. Like it's not ghosts. It's, it's, uh, I think the way you put it, Katie, is like, it's bad lighting and, and like wax, a wax figurine somewhere. Um, so it suggests the supernatural only as a way of bringing that back under the empirical or like this, the kind of proto-scientific. And Walpole isn't really doing that exactly, but I wonder if he's not doing something similar with the goofiness, right? Like, so it's like, ooh, this is a scary story, but like, we also have to be laughing at it and laughing at ourselves to the extent we are at all scared by this nonsense. There is a scene where they, where, where Walpole does the actual opposite of the thing where like you look a little closer and it turns out that it's actually you know, not magical at all. It's the first scene where they, you know, after the son gets smushed by the helmet, mm-hmm. basically like there's a lot going on here, but they accuse the the nice prince. Uh, what's his nuts? Theodore? The rightful uh, yes. Theodore. Oh, Theodore, yeah. The, the rightful heir of having stolen the helmet from a tomb and dashed out the brains of our young prince with it. And never reflecting, this is quoting the book, never reflecting how enormous the disproportion between the marble helmet that had been in the church and that steel before their eyes, nor how impossible it was for a youth, seemingly not 20, to wield a piece of armor of so prodigious a weight. So he's like trying to come up with a rational explanation like, no, 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 this is supernatural. Also, here's what you have to picture as you're picturing this. Huge knight's helmet. Biggest knight's helmet you've ever seen in your life. Gigantic. Covered in feathers. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Covered in feathers. That's right. And every time, like, uh, like when some shit will happen, like the feathers will like like nod like three times. <laughs> right, <laughs> the feathers are doing a lot of work. Oh god, yeah. There, yeah. There's a lot of prop work in this. Yeah, it, it's, it's totally like a so Vegas crazy. showgirls like thing got glued onto a huge Halloween costume for a big headed man. That's yeah. how I imagine yep. it. <laughs> I mean, uh, okay, so like this is this is going to be one of those weird questions, but like, what the fuck? Do we say about it in the gothic tradition that's like, you know, Katie has talked about Burke, you know, we've all I've certainly talked about Freud, like we've talked about how the theoretical and critical traditions around the gothic are really rich. And so what the fuck do we do with this dumbass novel? Yeah, like, right. And, and so I just want to like, I mean, I don't quite yet have an answer for that. I, I mean, I, I've actually been working on, on an answer for that for, for a lot, like a, years. I haven't quite gotten there. But I will say that, like, in addition to like the, the just absolute goofiness of the Gothic and the kind of reactionary strain of it, which it like that, like deeply anti-Catholic kind of xenophobic, like positing like Catholic Europe as the other to like Enlightenment uh, Church of England, Britain. Aside from that, there is like a radical strain which again this is something that, that Michael has written about and and a lot of other people. There is a radical strain to the Gothic that it, it's like it it also opens up like alterity as a space for critique, right? And I mean, I think like I don't think the criticisms of like patriarchal structures that we see in this novel are smart, but there is a way in which they are like part of what like and and not just that Castle Latrando, a lot of the Gothic, the dad who is committed to this like pre-modern version of like patriarchy, uh, like and that being an ominous 
this like bad figure that we need to get rid of versus the like more 18th century enlightenment kind of dude who doesn't do who still does patriarchy, but it doesn't look like patriarchy in that old like aristocratic mode, if that makes sense. And is that modernity is my real dad and I don't have to listen to you. <laughs> yes. Yes. That yeah, exactly. Exactly. Is so there's like it, this is a real question like is there a mourning for a different version of the family or is it like a wholesale rejection that doesn't give a shit because I think of like 20th century stuff that's been sort of called gothic like Absalom Absalom mm-hmm. or beloved mm-hmm. which are very much about like well, they're different, right? So, because f- Faulkner is mourning for a, for the family tradition uh, that's land based, and Morrison is pointing to a family tradition that's been uncanny at best from the beginning. So, what's the story there? Like, are they mad that you can just trade out your wife for your to, for your daughter in law? As far as the novel goes, I really want to hear what you guys th- are, are seeing here. Um, as far as the genre goes, I think it's both of those things, right? Like Frankenstein is definitely a text that is drawing heavily on the Gothic. But like as we talked about, like Frankenstein is a text that's very interested in revolution. Um, and I do think there, like, it, it, you know, like as family structure, you you are seeing something more like kind of a wholesale rejection of that model. Whereas like here, okay, so Manfred sucks, but this all resolves at like the restoration of the pure bloodline of Theodore, which could not be a more oh, yeah. reactionary version of what that is. You know what I mean? So it's like, I, I think that like within the genre, there it's like there's any number of answers to that based on specific texts. Um, with a Toronto, it's like, okay, so Manfred, the bad, like aristocratic dad is, is bad, but it does, you know, it, it kind of like stops there to me. It's like Hawthorne for dumb guys. Like th- this is just like <laughs> ding dong Hawthorne. Yeah. Yeah. Like every bit is of this, it? like the scary paintings, the like found narrative. It's all, it's, it's like, it's like if Hawthorne were bad and not good. <laughs> it seems like, I don't know if this gets to your question, Tristan and Megan, but he goes towards something that's very like classically gothic. Okay. You know, we have this guy, we think he's a murderer, and we're going to punish him with the thing he did the crime with. Right. And it's right. like, it, it is gothic. But then it's like, we put him under the helmet, and we see if he can get food, and if he can, he's a magician. Like, right. it yeah. goes to it, like, it goes towards, and then he escapes because there's a huge crack under the helmet. Right. So, and like, because there's a secret tunnel under the house. Right. Which is also all over Poe. This is just like, it's like a, you know, that kind of salad they will offer you at a pizza restaurant that's just all the toppings shoved into a bowl and they just <laughs> just be like, how dare you order salad in a pizza place? <laughs> this is like that for a gothic. Yes. And it also doesn't have any, you know, it's like you need a unifying quality and I would take a grab bag salad. Like I'd be there for that. But there's no unify, there's no unification here. They're not like, well, it's basically a, fucking wedge salad with 30 other things it's just a 30 other things (laughs) right yeah 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 no it's just stuff it's just stuff piled on stuff and then it just kind of ends yeah it just kind of ends it totally just kind of ends um this is another thing too is like we have this ending where it's like it's kind of serious i guess like like am i so saint nicholas appears in his true form right Yes. yes yes Santa Claus? <laughs> like, yeah, that's right. Sa- jolly old St. Nicholas leaned his ear that way. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, okay, so Santa Claus. <laughs> so Santa Claus shows up, yeah. 
Yeah. <clears throat> you put and, <laughs> the, uh, he's he's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Manfred tried to get his marriage annulled and marry his son's fiance. <laughs> That's good. We're going to start you're saying the, you're that. Getting, you're getting cold this year, young man. You know, but like. Oh, yeah. He's, I mean, don't, don't be a weird, don't be a weird would-be rapist. Yeah. Yeah, that 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 gets you on the Santa naughty list. Right? I mean, apparently. So I think I'm just like, how? Who decided? Like, was it some academic who never left his office who was like, "This is the first gothic novel"? Because I decided. That's a good question, Katie. Do you know? I mean, like, it, it is it, the the kind of gothic heyday is like you know, 1780s, 90s, uh, early 19th century, right? And and like this in 1764 is early for that but i mean yeah like i mean do you th- do you feel like that's right that this is the first gothic novel in english or i mean like uh based on available knowledge like could pro- probably yeah but it wouldn't surprise like, I-, I wouldn't shit my britches if if um you know uh they unearthed one from a year earlier in an old tomb in a castle or something yeah you know? I-, I mean there like there there is other weirds like uh like uh william beckford's uh vothic for which is which is yeah it's like it's kind of like a, an orientalized version of the gothic that's like 1782 um also feels very early with the genre um but later than than a toronto so i mean yeah like it's pulling on a lot of like you know uh, conventions of like the romance you know from you know from the medieval and kind of early modern romance uh, not just i think in the british context but also in the in the continental context but in the 18th century uh studies there was a very long period of time where the whole point of scholarship was trying to figure out what is the first novel and when does that start right. and i just I roll my eyes so hard at like any claim of like, this is the first one, but it is definitely a very early form of this, um, of this thing. Whatever. I mean, I wonder if like, we don't do it as much, but I think that like the British modernist people are very into like, oh, there's proto-modern novels. So there's like this kind of academic impulse to be like, oh, this is where we used to think it be. We used to think it was 1914, but actually it's a little, it's Henry James or whatever. And so like, I wonder if 18th century scholars have done that too, where they're trying to sort of like move things into a different moment just to to remind us that there's not a hard line between one period and another. I think so. This one though, does not seem to me to be like, you're shoehorning it into the genre to to make it have a longer history. Right. Where where some of that does. Like this is really like, this has so many gothic elements that it it, it's to a T the genre. Because it's Um, gothic grab bag. It's so pulling on like all of these things. It is. And, And I also do think that there are sort of like, there are historical threads that make sense for why this moment would start to produce a form like this. The, the, it's engagement with these kind of like enlightenment versions of epistemology and like, you know, the rational, um, you know, like th- those had been, uh, you know, cohering for quite, I mean, by se- the 1760s, like that is a very advanced and developed discourse. So I think like a novel that's trying to like envision like an earlier time uh, when like those, those ideas were not current and then see how like you can sort of test those ideas out among it. You know, it might make more sense and maybe be less kind of like, I feel like if you tried to do the Gothic novel, like in the early 18th century, like the age of newton and stuff like that right people would be like well this is just absolutely like this is exactly the kind of stuff we're trying to move away from whereas by like the later 18th century it's more like you can kind of start to revisit it a little bit you know well and you can do 
things that are like kooky with the novel because the novel is much more established. Yes, exactly. That's so right. So you can it, have it, like it, a kooky relationship to it, which this book clearly does because there's, again, like no psychological motivation. Yeah, yeah. Because the form had been like developing for a while. It had been. Um, and, and like one thing too that like uh, why to me like as an 18th century is this just reads so 18th century um, it, it, and not like it, oh it's a found medieval text is like there's all this like discourse around like sympathy and sentiment that is like it's like Adam like you have to have read Adam Smith to even think these thoughts like like right. th- this this description of Manfred from the first chapter right this is this is when he's kind of interrogating Theodore because he he thinks yeah that Theodore has somehow transformed the marble helmet. To the the giant iron helmet that, that killed his son, and uh, and and so the, so so Theodore is is like not happy to he's like that uh, thou art a res- resolute villain for thy years," uh, said Manfred again, as as Katie said, the the thou doing a lot of like oh it's old timey work, doing a lot of heavy lifting yeah. <laughs> for the thirteenth century there. Um, yet, yet on reflection, I suspect thou uh, suspect thou dost but trifle with me. Thou hast not yet told me how thou didst open the lock. That I will show you, my lord," said the peasant. And taking up a fragment of stone that had fallen from above, he laid himself on the trap door and began to to beat on the piece of brass that had covered it, meaning to gain time for the escape of the princess. This presence of mind, joined to the frankness of the youth, staggered Manfred. He f- even felt a disposition towards pardoning one who had been guilty of no crime. Manfred was not one of those savage tyrants who wanton in cruelty unprovoked. The circumstances of his fortune had given an asperity to his temper, which was naturally humane, and his virtues were always ready to operate when his passion did not obscure his reason. No one pre seventeen forty would have no. even thought in those terms, like that. That like, how do you tell if someone's passions and sentiments are appropriately <laughs> moderated? And their reason is there a way that like pedagogy could go wrong and make someone who was disposed to be a virtuous person instead a tyrant? Like this is a mid eighteenth century discourse, just yeah, on its absolutely. face, you know. So anyway, no. Do you see that plague doctor out the door? Why is he dressed like a bird? His <laughs> <laughs> reasons and passions yeah. ill aligned. Yes, yes. Uh, I have so many questions for you about this passage. By the way, yeah, just a million, just so many. Okay, so you two will both recall. The way that the secret trapdoor is revealed, mm-hmm. there, there's a big, there's a huge chase. Yes, and so, so um, I, I, I did not set this part up that well. The summary. So yeah, this is when the when Isabella is running through the tunnel, uh, encounters Theodore, and there's this trapdoor that's blocking their way. And so yeah, so they've got to like, so they have to, they have to, it's like they're being pursued, so they have to find the like the she she's like I know where the lock is. Don't worry about it. Like just shut the fuck up and I'll find it. I know what to do. <laughs> and then. A magical gleam of moonlight perfectly <laughs> lines itself up yes. on the lock. So she sees it, unlocks it by magic, and then dives into the tunnel. The door slams shut, and the 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 our youth, our our fancy handsome man, whose name Theodore, I can't remember anyone's <laughs> name. I should do a podcast about books. <laughs> He's like, what I'll do to buy her time is take this rock and lay down on my belly and beat the lock. And the dad is then like, huh, you know what? I like this guy. I like the way that he beats the lock with the rock. Something about him I like. And then he like invites him ghost hunting with him. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And did, did I miss anything about this shit? No, that, that's no, that's right. That's right. Right. It's, I mean, logic, I guess, is all I have to say there. Yeah. 
like what is coming through? Is it like well, I I was gonna say like oh that it's like the it's like the the oh like he doesn't seem like a peasant kind of thing, but it's like but the fact that he doesn't seem like a peasant is like so clearly the um you know that it's so clearly oh he's the actual heir like that would make him like like why does it matter for just kill him immediately at that point? You know what I mean? Like because does he does he know he does know he he's well he doesn't, but it's like how does he not? Because I feel like as soon as like Isabella is is as soon as he and Isabella have this conversation and we start to get the inklings of like, oh, he maybe he probably isn't just a peasant. It's like, oh, I know. Like this guy's gonna end up to be like king of a Toronto by the end of the novel, right? Like, but yeah. but yeah, but Manfred does I don't know. Yeah. It's just I mean Manfred's dumb. I think we can't we can't overlook that. Like he's very, very dumb. He really but this is like a classic it's a classic bond villain thing where like why if they would just shoot james bond in the head instead of build a tank of yeah. sharks with lasers on their heads yes. then we'd have no <laughs> movie and we'd have you know nothing no no have it all done but but yeah but but it's like what so what that 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 like smith the and adam smith like theory of moral sentiments passion where it's like he was not like by nature cruel but like it's circumstances circumstances have given him an asperity to his character like why do we need that complicate like because like it doesn't it doesn't actually go anywhere to making manfred like a fully developed like psychologically rich character that we get from the novel it's just this like it's almost like this throwaway line. Like, what the fuck is it doing there, you know? Well, and what does it have to do with, like, then Then we lead into the thing where it's like, you know, Katie said, you seem like a real smarty, smarty man because you figured this out. I'm going to take you ghost hunting with me. Yeah. And Manfred in that part is also like, but you didn't know anything about my castle. Like, <laughs> you don't know what the – you don't know what the secret tunnels are like and – and you don't know about the trap door. Like, what kind of motherfucking genius is this? Like, yeah. all yeah. reason has to just be replaced and then by like pure dumb shit. Like, everybody has to have, everybody has to be actually a total dumb shit or else the spooky shit wouldn't happen. Right. Right. Well, we're also just careening wildly between yeah. ideas about things. Like one minute right. he loves the Manfred loves Theodore and wants to go ghost hunting with him. The next minute he's executing him, so he calls for a priest who turns out to be his yeah, dad. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, and well, I and- love when they throw in extraneous characters. That for me is when it gets the most haywire, is when Bianca shows up and yeah. it's like you know, as soon as this bitch shows up, you know that she has to be there to relay bad information. Yeah, exactly. And she, but she's also like the that. So, uh, Megan, like you pointed out that like uh, her as being kind of like a uh, a recognizable type in some ways, right? Like, like, and yeah, like I mean, she is that like Shakespearean kind of comic relief character, which is often the kind of like servant class in in like Shakespeare's plays, right. but like. When you see it in Shakespeare, like the appearance of those characters, one, it's fairly contained. Like you don't give them 10 pages to be like, well, uh, so I, then I had to go to my washroom. Like all this, like she, like <laughs> basically Manfred just like, what the fuck happened? And she can't get to the point of the story. Like right. in a Shakespearean scene, that happens very quickly. It gives you a few laughs and then you get back to the tragedy here. Like the whole boat, like the pages when Bianca's present, it's like, okay, all of a sudden we're in a comic novel. Like, cause it's like, it's like it, yeah. like she and Manfred are doing like the like the who's on first bit from like you know? oh my yeah, god all, all <laughs> that's amazing they literally do who's on first I know. yeah 
So there's a moment in chapter two where like uh, Bianca has been introduced here earlier. I don't even know when she's introduced because characters like <laughs> they are uh, not operate. Yes. They're not re- – they, they are not legible enough as characters to even keep track of them. That's right. Right. And so she says – the well, what, what's his nose? Walpole says like she related the adventure of the young peasant who had been discovered in the vault. So we just have to know that like, okay, now we know Isabella knows this so we can keep going because that information is necessary even though grandpa disappears. Yes. Never yes. to be seen in ghost form again. Yeah. Um, with many simple additions from the incoherent accounts of the domestics. And she dwelt principally on the gigantic leg and foot, which had been seen in the gallery chamber. And it's like, Walpole is not so dumb that he doesn't know that this is utterly incoherent. No. And some other character has to be like, just let me let me like leave out all the bullshit and tell you the story straight. Even though she's the queen of relating bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like oh the gigantic leg and foot. It's amazing. I actually don't like. I I I kind of suspect that. Like, I'm not saying that Walpole is a great writer. This is not the claim. But I kind of suspect that like he knows how dumb this story is. And, and I want like to 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 um you know I I kind of like to distinguish this from the Radcliffian Gothic, right? Where like you know everything has a rational explanation. Which you know again the the ghost is the the big stupid ghost helmet that squishes people. That's like real in the novel terms. But I do think that like. The stup- the overt stupidity and and uh, just like improbability of all of it might kind of have a similar function to Radcliffe, right? It's like he's he's kind of winding you up, but he's also like, and you guys know this is dumb, right? Like if you're getting scared right now, you're kind of being a dumbass. He does tell like and you can sort of tell. We get most of the dial. I I would say like most of the dialogue from Manfred actually like or or yeah. Mo- I don't know. He's got most of the like good lines or whatever too, but he's always talking about how stupid everyone around him is. Yes. Constantly. Yes. Yes. He's like, he, he says, um, peace blockhead several (laughs) times. Oh yes. That's a, that's a big favorite line. Yeah. 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 He says it to one of the minor characters. Yes. Yes, he does. But, but then his daughter says it too, to uh, Bianca. Mm Mm-hmm. She's like, shut the fuck up, you imbecile. <laughs> and she says, she says something. God, I wish I had it precisely, but she's like, oh, how your thoughts do amble. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Doesn't she also say the shut the fuck? Am I? I oh, I oh no, she does. She just says like all kinds of weird shit to her. Although I, okay, I feel like once Frederick shows up, he gets some good lines because yeah. he has to tell the story of like, and then I went to the Crusades, which of course Walpole has to not represent because that. That would be too weird. Yeah. You know, I love it when he pulls back. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. <laughs> uh, but it's like the priest, he's a priest, uh, but then, so he's like a priest and he f- found his long lost son, uh, whose son, who's actually the heir of a Toronto. And he's like, we must kill three generations of them, son. Yes. <laughs> Wait, that's yeah. Jerome, right? I mean, Frederick, who's the. The Marquis, the Marquis of Bumbleberry, or whatever his name is. <laughs> Vin, oh yeah, Vincenzo, Which I'm also, I probably, if I'm going to do the 18th century British pronunciation, I probably should probably be like Vicenza, right? The Marquis of Vicenza, right? Like anyway, all the Italian names are really good. 
I'll say. Oh, oh right. Like, yes, the, I, I don't think I even mentioned uh, the, the name of uh, that's on the, the first title page. Uh, yes. uh, translated by William Marshall Jett, some papist in the North Country, uh, from the original Italian of Onufrio Moralto. Like spaghetti like, rigatoni. Like, yes, like this is the this is like the Italian name that you would come up with if the Odely stuff you had been reading was like and like 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 re, like Counter Reformation, like 16th century stuff written in Latin. You know, like she's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life. Her name is Margarita Pizza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mar- Mar- Margarita, Countess of of Pizza Pepperoni. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's oh man it's great it, it really is great but so i so okay so like i, I did actually and, and katie you since you're you're the 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 you know the most about religion of of all of us um the, the anti so the anti-catholic stuff is like deeply embedded in the british gothic as a form and it's definitely present here uh like a lot but i i wonder if it's like if that's actually a point of the novel in any way, or if it's just like, that's the kind of backdrop of like, Ooh, where scary stuff happens with Catholics. Or if if there is something even more of like, okay, we have to like really critique this, uh, xenophobic construction of Catholicness to do something Englishy with it. You know, is it a real thing or is he doing tropes? Yes, exactly. I, I think, I think it's window dressing. I think he's doing, I think he's doing tropes. I really do think that like, this is all just, because the thing is, there's no function of any of the Catholic shit, really. Right. Like there's no, like the church, sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. The nunnery. Oh, you know, it's a better option. It's maybe it's an escape place. Nothing bad happens there. Right. Like none of the priests are evil. You know, like there's none of that shit at all. Like nobody is even like doing you know fucking papist rituals no and like yeah fa- like father jerome he uh he he sort of serves as a like plot device check on manfred's like most like destructive ambitions right so like that's that like yeah he's he's the one like no i'm not going to give you this divorce so that you can you can you know marry isabel against her will um and it, you know he gets a, he gets a little fuzzy on that but but his main function does not seem to be to just like support the like the, the tyrannical impulses of this of this italian prince no that's that's yes totally yeah he his main he's like kind of a good dad he's like a good decent dad yeah he uh, seems like yeah you know for all the became Aside a priest weird stuff yeah. he, he, he gives a huge shit about his kid yes yeah um which is like not something you can say about every father <laughs> in this book no, no especially because they just do like daughter trading yeah yes yeah, yeah they just do. swapping daughters that's their primary Hogs. task besides rising from the dead or whatever the the I am your father bullshit. Yep. <laughs> They're trading daughters like Dragon Ball Z guards <laughs> or whatever. Have we know. talked about the giant sword? No, we have not yet. Oh my god. <laughs> and the knight that comes from the order of the like gigant Yeah, is that what you're yeah, talking about? Yeah, the yeah, knight yeah. from the order of the gigantic sword? Yeah. That's literally what it's called. The knight of Oh, I think it's yeah, I think it is the knight of the gigantic sword because I remember reading it and being like I think I'm going to remember this, even if I get it wrong. Right? Yeah. It, it, right. And so, so that this is this is when like 
the guy who we do not yet know is Frederick, the the the, the Marquis of Vincennes. So this is when he shows up, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. oh okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because all his oh, guys bring right. the, yes. gi- the yeah. ginormo they, sword. They march into the- they, A giant they, wiener. They march into the castle courtyard, very all in armor, not saying anything, carrying a giant sword. It is very much a Monty Python sketch. Like I'm, I'm, I am oh, kind yeah. of, I am kind of shocked the Pythons did not just like do this as the Holy Grail movie, you know. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. They, the the herald comes and he says, I'm tr- and and Jerome says, who 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 the fuck are you, sir? I'm trying to. F- and I'm- the herald answers, I am from the knight of the gigantic saber. The knight of the gigantic saber, right? Yes, that's if right. I'm the knight of mine is bigger than yours. <laughs> The the knight of the gigantic saber. I am the okay. knight of the biggest cock. Right? <laughs> oh, totally. I brought my giant wiener in with me. I am the knight of it looks bigger when it's hard. <laughs> so big it has to be carried by these 20 dudes. <laughs> the, the knight of these are my magnums, the lady. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, again, like... It, that's just tro- that's just campy as fuck trope, right? It's like it's like well, all knife shit is night shit is like phallic, like in its in its signification. Let's let's right. do, let's almost do like a Hemingway thing and make it as big and as ridiculous as we possibly can, right? And like march Point it out into our the symbolism. Ca- yes, yeah, yeah, right. Like march it into the castle courtyard, right? Like, <laughs> You got to make sure the ladies see it too, right? Like yeah. there's all this French farce nonsense where the people are in weird places. It's like, who's in Isabella's bedroom? Is it Isabella or is it Matilda or is it somebody else? And like, yeah, but you got to make sure the ladies see the big giant knife. Yes. That's what's so funny is Walpole can't just describe the effort it takes to have this huge sword carried in. He has to be like, did you see? We're called the big sword yeah. guys. Yeah, we're the, our names are the hugest ones. We're huge. We're the big, big boys. Yeah. Big boys. Look at us. Oh man. Oh god. And then and this yeah. is why I'm like, how can this be a gothic novel? Which in general I do take sort of seriously. Yeah. Well, he's doing yeah, and the I, tropes. I think, no, I mean, I think, and you're right. I, I mean, like. I, it is it is a serious and i and it's a serious genre and as i kind of was saying earlier it is a genre that actually is capable of doing a lot of interesting stuff politically and conceptually but i do think that like even in the more serious versions of the gothic and maybe this is just me being like not a reader that's all that into like kind of spooky stuff um it, it always borders right up against the ridiculousness, like in, in most examples, at least of the 18th century version of the genre I can think of, that it doesn't always go there. It doesn't always make this a matter of like actually laughing at this stuff. But I feel like it's because it's kind of like pushing against the boundaries of like what we take to be like the everyday world and the knowable world that like that always is like right on the precipice of falling from like the sublime and the terrifying into the just like the abject and laughable. Um, I mean, does that sound right? Yeah, that does sound right to me. That does sound right. I I'm trying to think of what version of this I would find non-hilarious. Like a version of okay, so like so like this is what I wanted to know because you said something really interesting also. You were like, why did why was Disney why did Disney make this a movie yeah. instead of like Sleepy Hollow? Yeah. This would work for right. a movie. Like what part <laughs> would work for a movie? <laughs> That's made by Disney. 
Uh, and what part? And what part of this could you like? What part could you preserve to, to like be like? Okay, this is good. I think you could just do the whole movie, and it would be Disney because like, and then and then and then is like children's narration. But kids would be like, "What the fuck is with the the huge helmet?" And the dad wants to fuck the daughter-in-law. <laughs> kids, kids would t- accept the giant helmet. Yeah, and the girl dies at the end for kind of no reason. The daughter, yeah, yeah that's I not think very. This Disney. all tracks. I think that like the dead princess for no good reason, but they they end on a marriage plot. <laughs> but they, you know, yeah, you never know for sure that they're not going to be menaced by another big thing, right? <laughs> another giant item of clothing. Right. Right. Like, what else is big? Yeah, like huge underpants next time. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I don't. I just also think that it would be like beautifully rendered in cartoon. It, well, yeah, what are you picturing? Well, there, there, like, <laughs> with, like, uh, like Megan and I just discovered this. Uh, uh, you know, we kind of uh, just, well, yeah, like on, on the on the online that there was like a there was like oh. I'm. It was. It, it was a uh, an Eastern European director. And sorry, I'm being super vague about that. I just. I can't. I think it was like um, what formerly Yugoslavia, um, from the '70s that did like a short version of this, like a short cartoon, I think, version of this, like which I really tried to get my hands on before the episode and was unable to, just because I. It would have been. It, I, it. It sounds amazing. It's the animated version is like the only reason this would work, and also like a head. A helmet falling off the wall and going squish is just a beautiful. But it didn't fall. It didn't fall off a wall. It, it, I know. Yeah, showed up. I know you're right. I know it just showed up. It's just like, but and then I also wonder how would you do it now? You know, it's just like, is this a giant pair of Beats headphones that like materializes right. midair <laughs> and have feathers all over them? Oh, a, and then just sit there, and then you imprison it. <laughs> Yeah, except then you have to go through the trap door. Yeah, yeah. Also, I, I made a joke about this earlier, um, but it, but I, I do want to acknowledge that this is a thing that really happens in the novel. Is uh, among the many signs that we get is yeah the 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 uh, the statue of Alfonso the Good, uh, which is such a clever name. Um, but he, it, it starts bleeding, right? It's like, oh, like what yes. is he bleeding from his eyes or like his hands and a stigmata? No, from his fucking the nose. nose. The nose of the statue starts bleeding, and that's a great signifier of like, oh, like the blood of the like real prince is back in the castle. <laughs> like, the oh statu- my god, the statue of the fail son without a humidifier in his basement. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, <laughs> sorry, my mom gave me travel Kleenex. This happens all the time. It's no big deal. It doesn't hurt. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, God. It's so good, though. It's just like. It is. um, It is good. It's just the funniest thing I've read in a really long time. Yeah, me too. So. It's a fun romp. Okay, Katie, do you have questions? Because I I want questions. I have a lot of questions that I don't think we're ever going to really be able to address. So I thought instead of asking those kind of real questions about maybe like Horace Walpole psychology and things like this. I would ask you to participate in a BuzzFeed quiz. Awesome. A BuzzFeed Where, quiz sounds absolutely real. Hear ye, hear ye. I'm from the order of the enormous, gigantic BuzzFeed quiz. <laughs> Biggest one. There's none bigger. I measured them all. I checked every single one. <laughs> My guys had to bring it in. <laughs> it's so big. The Guinness Book of World Records is here. Big. <laughs> it's actually kind of short. <laughs> <laughs> so your guys did not have to bring it in. 
I couldn't get the guys. Yeah. Um, okay. So if you two are ready, we'll begin with question number one. Mm. Excellent. Questions number one and two have A, B, and C choices, and the rest have A through D. Okay. For just because I couldn't think of a D for the first two. Mm-hmm. So just ignore it. I can think of a D for almost every occasion. <laughs> a. That's what I like to hear. God, you usually handle the dirty stuff. I can't believe I came through with that one. <laughs> <laughs> you really you really came through, and I appreciate it. Okay, so th- this first question requires a teeny bit of setup that we didn't talk about because you can't talk about it all. Matilda and Isabella are into the same guy. Right. Okay. Yeah. Frederick. Yeah. Er- they're, they're both they're b- with hot for him. Not Frederick. Wait, Theodore. Theodore. <laughs> this is like the sun oh, also rises all hell? over again, you know? Oh. <laughs> It's awful. So in a in a moment of utter coincidence, those are my grandfather and great grandfather's names, and so that's why I am keeping them straight. Okay, gotcha. My God, Megan, look up! <laughs> what do I see in this guy? <laughs> Is it a giant knight's helmet? Oh God, it's over Chicago! It's going straight for you. <laughs> no, it's just in my it's just in my house with its perfectly unremarkable height ceilings. <laughs> oh, good. Okay, they're um, into the same. They're into the same. In- not a peasant. Yes, they're they're into the same guy. Not a peasant. Okay, and you're both into him. So imagine you're in the situation, right? You and your friend. You're both. You're, you're BFF. You both in the same guy. Okay. So what do you do? A propose cutting him in half and arguing over who takes the bottom. <laughs> B do the last pizza pizza method where you say, no, you take him. No, you take him. No, you take him enough times. So you feel like it's okay to take it <laughs> or C crush him with a giant knight's helmet. Problem solved. Friendship is forever. <laughs> C, uh, a cut him in half. <laughs> cool. Okay. Oh, I gotta say C if I if I can make a giant knight. I mean, we make fun of it. Yeah, we make fun of it a lot, like because it seems ridiculous. But if you had the power to just conjure a giant knight's helmet to squish people, do I would it. like use that for everything. You know, that's true. Yeah. Oh, I couldn't couldn't get to work today. Giant knight's helmet was not. <laughs> oh yeah, blocking. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So you, you were like you were like late for like a, a flight or something. You could just make the helmet come down around the airplane. So like you're not leaving until I'm there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So picture your greatest rival. What do you hate most about them? A, a passion for his daughter burns in your loins. <laughs> B, he has usurped the title of Chef Boyardee from you, and you must embark on a quest to reclaim what is rightfully yours. <laughs> Or C, he's a fucking knight's helmet. And, like, I'd never see that coming. <laughs> what was A again? A passion for his daughter burns in your loins. Oh. Uh, he stole my title as Chef Boyardee. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm tempted to say with the, 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 the knight's helmet again, but... But yeah, that's right. I mean, I you know, I I uh, I'm I, I uh, I'm not good at many things, but I I am pretty good at cooking. And if someone were to take that from me, that would that would piss me off. So you're both B. So a friend tells you that they want to join a convent. Mm-hmm. How do you reply? A. You can't just solve every problem by saying you're going into a convent. That's not how this works. <laughs> B. What the fuck is it with you and convents anyway? Have you ever been to one? C. Seriously, is this something you saw in a movie or something? Why do you keep saying this? Or D. 
me too want to watch Sister Act 2 back in the habit. <laughs> so I am going to do the like the BC uh, version because I do have to say that like I there's so much literature or, or like the convent is such a device in this genre and others and it's like ooh it's like the it's this cool like mysterious place it's like no it is fucking not like have you like have you ever been in any kind of like situation with like actual catholic clergy where you're like yeah this is fucking awesome like i i need more of this like i need this to structure my life like no yeah i'm voting b because apparently she didn't watch the movie yeah yeah and yeah. you have don't you have to pray like five times a day you have to go to Matins or whatever. They, they do stuff, I'm sure, like with Pronounce like midgets. dolls of silence and stuff <laughs> like that, or like you know. Or I, but I actually know. I actually feel like I actually feel like that would the 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 the, 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 the like the vow of silence like that. That's cooler than anything that actually happens, you know. Like because at least I that's somewhat mysterious. And then you only have to read religious books, though. Like I just don't think this would work for me. No. All right, here's your penultimate question. Which of the following objects do you feel is most likely to be haunted? A, a statue with a bloody nose. Mm. B, a suit of armor. C, a honking big helmet. Or D, a jewel pod that keeps the souls of all who puff on it inside to be vaped by the next user who then forfeits their soul. Also, have you tried the mango? I hear it's quite tasty. (laughs) Which one? Uh, the giant knight's helmet. I I know that now. I'm I haven't voted for that very many times, but that feels uh good and haunted to me. Yes, I agree. I think though the statue bleeding from its nose. Because I have to say, as ridiculous as that is, like if you were just like walking through, like well, ghost so we have neck these, beard. What's that? The ghost, of, ghost neck of neck beard is the ghost of neck beard. Yes. If you, if you were just walking through like a museum or some shit and a statue started bleeding from its fucking nose, I would be freaked out. I mean, like, I would probably laugh That's about fair. it later, but yeah. I'm just a little sad that I quit smoking too early for jewel pods. Yeah. Like I Yeah. I didn't get to I didn't get to like live in that transition where you can go from smoking cigarettes to smoking jewel pods because people think they're better for you, <laughs> even though you, you consume like <laughs> ten times more nicotine. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like having been pregnant through the entire white claw trend i just feel like god damn did i miss something huge <laughs> no uh, no because <laughs> it could be it's just so. Lacroix with a shot of vodka in it yeah and i can do that myself yeah. i'm not i'm not much of a cook yeah um so, so here's your last well your last question so this book does deal with some um, adult themes. One of those themes is divorce. It's very sad. Attempted divorce. Attempted <laughs> divorce. Attempted divorce yeah. <laughs> Never completed, but attempted. But then everybody um, dies. So, <laughs> then everyone dies. They can't do it. Um, the, which of these, which of the following movies best captures your attitude about divorce? So A, Mrs. Doubtfire, Dad in Disguise. Uh. B, Under the Tuscan Sun. C, It's Complicated, the one about uh, the one where Alec Baldwin and Meryl Streep um, like are, are, are divorced and she's re- redoing her kitchen and um, he is uh, married to like a young lady. So Ooh, eesh. 
Or D, The Sword in the Stone, a touching film about a sword consciously uncoupling from a stone. <laughs> uh, yeah, I like D. Uh, I feel like I feel like that tracks. Um, it's not the first Wives Club, but it ain't bad. Um, I I think that actually I would I would agree with with D as well, but I'm gonna pick A just because I was thinking about Mrs. Doubtfire recently as an example of like a like an early '90s comedy, like the premise of which is so fucked up and like disturbing. Oh it's like it's like so would, fucked up. Could you get this made today? And also like was th- there no. was a time when people were like, ha, what a what a lighthearted comedy. I like how this guy dresses in this elaborate disguise and like infiltrates himself into like his ex-wife's house right like that that's yeah like that's, yeah, that's, yeah. What, what 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 a funny premise right <laughs> like hilarious yeah every movie made in the 1990s was about uh not taking no for an yes answer. totally totally <laughs> and, but but i and i think which seemed actually progressive at the time in the context of the 1980s films where everything was about like how do you like sneak into like teenage girls changing rooms right like that yes right. so. <laughs> well it's very progressive and left to want to spend to be a dad who wants to spend time with your kids no totally you know of course just really uh it's just a progressive movie all around uh, totally 100 percent. yeah <laughs> i endorse it this is this is all this is serious to me because it's my favorite movie actually i didn't want to tell you because i don't want to make it weird but it's my favorite movie <laughs> well i'm not sure it's not weird now but that's okay <laughs> so so what are our results uh, okay let's let me do the calculations charts graphs and money do you sign remember anybody's name <laughs> no if you put a giant <laughs> helmet to my head right now, I couldn't tell you one person's <laughs> name. Uh, the only option is a, a giant knight's helmet. So you're both a giant knight's helmet. Oh, okay. oh I'm cool with that. All right. Yeah. Nice that. Yeah. Can I- Two roads diverged in yellow wood and both led <laughs> giant, to a huge giant. knight's helmet. <laughs> Why? I, no, I'm so sad that I can't be the uh, part of the knight of the gigantic saber. <laughs> <laughs> and have have 20 guys carry around my wiener all the time <laughs> you can I'll, I'll revise okay. i'll revise i'll make that an option because that is for me the best outsized object of this book it is it is pretty yeah it is pretty sweet i yeah i, I get so fixated on the giant knight's helmet that i always forget there's the giant phallus i mean saber that's carried into the, into the courtyard which is not in any way like sexually symbolic whatsoever no, no. it's just you know maybe lacan should have written about this right like this the the largest of signifiers blasting through <laughs> uh, the biggest the biggest the 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 law of the father yep the bigger the scarier (laughs) the bigger the most intense so um thank you i I never i i never don't love the buzzfeed quiz uh so this has been better red than dead you can find tristan on twitter at tj schweiger you can find katie on twitter at katie crywell you can find me on twitter at tesslersaurus you can find the show on twitter and instagram at better red pod and email us at betterredpodcast at gmail.com, but only if you want to tell us about being a knight of the gigantic saber. 
Our intro music is Love Bronstein by the Redskins and used with their permission. Our logo was created by Jane Bonsack of JB Design and Content. Please rate and review and subscribe. We still have gifts for reviewers. If you send us on those screenshots, we will get some silly stickers out to you. And next week, you will finally hear our two-part brilliant episode on Ulysses, followed by Rob Roy, Hamlet, Native Son, and A Christmas Carol, because who doesn't love a little Charles Dickens in their life for the holidays? So thanks. Oi, Gov. Oi, Gov. <laughs>